The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. You're listening to UnityOnlineRadio.org, the voice of an awakening world. Fascinating interviews and compelling conversations. Be present. The Diane Ray Show. Welcome to the show. Thanks for tuning in today. I watched a great documentary recently about the comedian Daryl Hammond from Saturday Night Live. It was called Cracked Up. And if you haven't seen this, you should definitely check it out. Daryl shares a story of growing up in Florida, and he revealed the years of abuse he suffered at the hands of his mother. And this led him to cutting himself, drinking, abusing drugs, and several trips to psychiatric hospitals. It's pretty intense stuff. He was eventually diagnosed with an array of mental disorders, including bipolar disorder, manic depression, and schizophrenia. But what they didn't see at first was that Daryl was suffering from severe PTSD. And he held on to a lot of this in his body. And he says in the movie, the issue is in the tissues. And this quote's going to kind of all make sense into what we're going to be talking about today, because one of the ways that he's been able to start healing is through body work like yoga. And he practices a method of what we're going to be talking about today called grief yoga. It's, it's really an, an incredible documentary and a testament to uh, Daryl Hammond's strength and wanting to heal. My guest today, Paul Denniston, knows all about the term, the issue is in the tissues. He's the founder of Grief Yoga and the author of the book, Healing Through Yoga, Transform Loss into Empowerment. And he teaches workshops and online courses to people all around the country. And you can find him online at griefyoga.com. We're going to take a, a deep dive into this today. So Paul, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm so glad that we can talk about this. As I was reading through the book, um, in the very beginning, David Kessler, who's a, a friend, uh, author, speaker, death and grieving expert, he wrote an amazing introduction to this book. And he says, so often we think that grief lives only in our hearts and minds. Your work can help us understand that grief also gets stuck in our bodies. And I wanted you to Explain a little bit why paying attention to our bodies while we're grieving is so important. Absolutely. Well, I, I think that it's so normal when we are experiencing loss or grief for us to get stuck up into our head to, to try to process the loss. I think a lot of the times what can happen is, is that we experience worry and doubt. Um, perhaps we can even be a catastrophizer, you know, focusing on worst case scenarios of things. I think it's so easy for us to try to to want to try to think our way out of the problem. Um, but I also recognize that, that, you know, a lot of the times too, we carry it in our body. I, I think within our neck, sometimes we have a hard time expressing things, uh, expressing our fear, expressing the struggle. Sometimes we can get stuck up in our throat. I think that it can live in our shoulders, um, you know, burdens, responsibility, anxiety, and tension lives up in our shoulders, uh, within our chest. I mean, you've heard broken heart syndrome. I mean, I think within the chest, it's an expression of, of, of love, but unresolved grief and sorrow can also live within the chest too. 
I believe we can also carry grief within our stomach, um, whether it's feeling insecure, whether it's, you know, sometimes when there's a loss that happens, we might feel powerless against things. Um, we might be having a hard time, you know, processing challenging emotions. And so I think it's normal for us to have, you know, stomach pains. There's a lot of um, suppressed feelings that can happen within the hips, whether it be guilt or shame or sexual trauma. So I, I really believe we the body holds on to the pain and, and trauma. So um, it's important for us to find a compassionate space to move things through. I've been reading a lot of interesting things recently, and they call it somatic therapy. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot more information about this coming out now, you know, with what you're doing about how important it is to pay attention to where things are manifesting in your body and how we hold on to these things and, and cellular memory. And as I was reading through the book, I mean, I definitely could identify in my own body where I hold things like definitely in my stomach for sure. I'm a, I clench my teeth, you know, I really feel it in my throat or I'll, you know, yes, feel yeah. that, that clenching um, the grinding of the teeth. Yeah. Yes. The <laughs> tension the in the jaw. I can relate. <laughs> <laughs> I feel, I feel that. And, yeah. and what you're doing is, is so important to help people become aware of what's going on in their bodies. And you share, share a lot of your personal story in the book about how you came to a yoga practice. And I love yoga and have been practicing for a long time. And I've noticed though, you know, that my practice has changed a lot over the years. I remember back like maybe 10, 12 years ago, like I was a big Ashtangi, right? I wanted mm -hmm. to do that 90 minute power thing and sweat. And I got so much release from that. But as my practice evolved and changed, I kind of moved away from that. Like, I, I still think that's a valuable practice, but now I enjoy more like doing beach yoga or some easier thing or, you know, so I love how yoga can kind of morph and change and fit into your life, no matter where you are in your life and something that you can practice for years and, until we shuffle off this planet. So I was just curious how you came to yoga and if you could share that with us. Yeah. Well, I, I also, for me, believe that yoga is a lifelong practice, that, that there are times where it will be strong and present, and then there are times where it won't be. There are times where our practice shifts, whether we might have started off with something powerful and energizing, and then sometimes could be we're looking for something more restorative or... You know, when I first went into a yoga class, for me personally, it was because I was looking for something to help with my anxiety. I was looking for a place to help to um, become present and perhaps a little bit of an exercise to help me to find more peace. But what happened for me in that space, I remember the first yoga class that I went to was all of the unresolved emotions that I had been trying to run away from or suppressing all came up to the surface. And, you know, the heart of what yoga, which yoga means union, finding harmony and connection within the mind, body, and spirit, within the, the heart of that practice, which is about compassion, I remember the teacher just saying to me, you know, you can rest whenever you need to. Um, to that, that sense of kindness in that space of struggle was so powerful for me um, and the release that I had within it. But I, it really be, helped me to become aware of was like, wow, I'm really holding a lot in my body and I'm having a hard time 
being present here and now. And so it really, for me, was a way for me to tap into meditation that was a moving meditation. But it also helped me to start to get curious about where am I holding all of this pain, this struggle, this anxiety, grief, and anger? Where am I holding it in my body and finding ways that I can start to be with it, but also to move with it? It's so interesting, isn't it? When you first start a practice, I remember lying in, in Shavasana and crying and wondering, why am I crying? This is bizarre. And being embarrassed because I didn't want anybody in the class to see me cry. But then as I started practicing more, I would see that same reaction happen in other people mm -hmm. as these emotions would come up and you don't even know really where they're coming from. But the release is, is so incredible. Right. You know, that you just have to kind of let let the tears flow. And and that's kind of what what got me got me hooked as well. Not the not the crying part. <laughs> but you know, I, I loved like the feeling of peace and, and the release that you would get uh, after a really great yoga practice that you really can't find. I guess runners might experience that with a runner's high and that kind of thing. But the, the feeling is just so wonderful. Well, and, and also, I mean, the crying part is really a, a release. And I, I actually believe that, that, that tears are an expression of love. And so for me personally, you know, tapping into a place of, I think I was really going to yoga to help me to deal with, with loss or grief. Um, once I started to identify that, that, that the grief is really just a, an expression of love, it helped me to learn to like befriend it. Right. And crying, and you mentioned this in the book, you know, big boys don't cry. Uh, even, even women where we're supposed to be allowed to, we're, we're told like, don't cry, you'll look weak. And I always notice in interviews with people when they're talking about an intense situation, they'll start to become over, overcome. Everybody always does this. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You know, forgive me for crying. Why? Because you know? we judge our emotions, and I think it's what we were taught. We we believe that sadness is vulnerable, or, or tears are expressions of vulnerability, um, and we need to be strong. We're, you know, I for my sister who passed away from cancer, you know, she was taught that good girls aren't supposed to be angry. So I think that what happens is is that we we judge emotions and and label them as good as bad. And I think that these emotions are all part of who we are. You know, I can experience love, and I can experience sorrow. I can experience anger and I can also experience like, like resilience and purpose. I can, you know, these are all fabrics of who we are. And so instead of, instead of judging some as wrong, what if we learned how to be with all of it and to move with all of it? Cause the body's holding onto it. Right. We really need to learn that. It's so interesting when you think about it, how removed we are from that. And we don't allow ourselves to feel feelings and emotions, and we put labels on them. I, I think it's, it's interesting. And I think that we recognize that movement helps, whether it's, you know, if you're in a very angry situation and you feel like I need to go take a walk around the block. Uh, I know some people who are like, I need to, you know, I've got a lot of frustration. Here's a kickboxing class. Uh, some people are like, maybe we'll use dance. Some people will go for a hike. I think that people recognize that, that it's important for movement. Um, but I think that for me, what I was interested in as a yoga teacher and 
with a background of, of movement and choreography, I, I started, as I was developing this practice, started to say, what if we created specific intentions for specific movements that helped take whatever the struggle and the pain is, instead of denying it or suppressing it, learning how to channel it in empowering ways as, as fuel for healing. And these postures and poses that you share in the book were specifically designed, it seems, you know, and I'm sure you did, to help move through and release these certain feelings and emotions. And so that that was your thought process in developing these sequences? After teaching, you know, as I was, you know, becoming a yoga teacher and learning many different forms of yoga, whether it be hatha or kundalini or laughter yoga, restorative yoga, chakra dance, I think what I became fascinated with as I was learning from grief and loss experts is where are we getting stuck? What's, what, what's, the, what's the obstacle? I spent so many decades trying to run away from it that I'm like, no, let's address the problem. Let's not take a spiritual bypass of it. And so once I started to identify where we're getting stuck, I'm like, here's a specific uh, technique, posture, movement that really kind of focuses on that. And it's, it's, it was a way of, 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 of moving with it that, that I became very fascinated with. It's so great how you isolated and created these certain poses and postures for these feelings that you can really see how you put that thought and, and research into it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I've taught this practice to thousands of therapists, counselors, and healthcare professionals, and they would share with me, you know, as they were working with people, they were like, you know, we, we see that they're holding onto it in their body. And so, you know, we're, we're not really sure what to do with it. And so, um, I just became fascinated about, well, let's let's do something with it, but really do it in a way that's not so much about physical flexibility, because a lot of the people that I'm working with might be very new to yoga, they, they have physical limitations. And so in adapting this type of practice, I really wanted it to fit every body that was more about emotional liberation than physical flexibility. That was really about learning how to, to channel the struggle and the pain that allowed us to connect to more empowerment and love. And people do get caught up in that physicality of yoga, I think, in the beginning. Like maybe you're first attracted to, oh, I want to bend in that way, you know, and that's kind of your ego involved in that. Oh, I want to be like this perfect yogi person. You know, yeah. and that, and I think you move away from that attachment, you know, as you get more involved in, in the practice and really learn the benefits, yeah, not just the yeah. physical benefits. Sure. I mean, Lord knows I, I would compare myself to other people in the class. I would look at myself and judge myself, you know, thinking I, I've always felt like I was a fat little kid just growing up and just, you know, and I was like, this is not what I want to create. This is, this is not about that. This is more about... I want to find more peace. And in order for me to find more peace, um, I have to, um, I have to kind of like go into the shadow a little bit because I think if we, you know, move through that, we can come to the, to the light. And it makes me think of this philosophy of, of like, you know, when, when buffaloes can recognize that a storm is coming, they don't run away from the storm. They actually run through the storm to minimize their time in the storm. And so I recognized for myself personally, I ran away from the storm thinking I was, you know, I, I didn't want to deal with it 
when recognizing now, it's like, no, that storm was inside of myself. So it's really about let's minimize that and let's in, in empowering ways move through it so we don't have to hold on to it. You have your work cut out for you for sure, because we don't <laughs> like to look at those things. Oh, I know. You know? But here's the like thing it. though, I don't, you know, I get it. And, 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 and here, but when I didn't want to look at it, what, what happened for me is, as I turned to sex, drugs, and rock and roll to try to numb the pain. And if anything, that just led me into a deeper place of depression. And as I was continuing to do this work, do my own work, moving into a place of recovery, I have found that by actually going into it and doing it, it has led me to a place of more peace and happiness. And I would not have gotten to that point if I didn't, didn't you know, allow myself the space to move through it. So I, I'm not saying that this work is easy, but it is meaningful and fulfilling. Right. No, it's definitely not easy because you're dealing with people at their most vulnerable at the time, a time in their life when some, you know, extraordinary, you know, oftentimes fearful, horrible thing has happened. And, and in the book, this struck me, I, I thought this was really a, an interesting quote. You say that while we're grieving, we can get stuck in the past or feel fear and anxiety about the future. But this practice is a pathway to the present. And this is something I I always struggle with being in the present. I even name this show, Be Present, <laughs> you know, to kind of remind myself to, this is what's important, this moment that we have right now. We can't change what's happened in the past. Um, and so this practice is is important to bring us to that moment, especially when we're grieving, to to deal with it, like you're saying, to move through it. Sure. It's and, and, and how hard it is and to recognize that, you know, we're all struggling too. We're all <clears throat> experiencing loss or, or grief or struggle in our own unique ways. And I think that, that, that um, loss is affecting us in so many ways, especially even just within this pandemic. Maybe it's the loss of the way that we thought that life was going to be. Um, grief can happen, whether it be the loss of a loved one or a relationship to anything from like um my I'm I'm my body's not operating like it used to. Um I think that that um loss and grief is is very unique to each person and um I think in order for us to really move through it you have to be with it and that does mean being present and is there a possibility that in this presence, I can just be a little bit more compassionate to myself, that I can be a little bit more kinder to myself. And with the, the meditation that to help that I, for me to get present is, can I, as I observe my breath, get curious about my body and the sensations that I'm holding on into my body, which I, for me, helps me to become present. I always feel when I talk to people after, and, and I've experienced, you know, loss when my, my parents have, have both passed. And I always say to people, you know, I, I understand how you feel because I feel that when you have that loss or grief, it changes you in your DNA. And I don't know if that's true. I wonder if it actually does. Maybe someone will discover that and see. But in, in the book, you share a quote from Elizabeth Kubler-Ross where she says that you will never be the same after this kind of suffering and you wouldn't want to be the same. Right. And, and do you think that's true, that 
you really wouldn't want to be the same. Although some people probably wish at the time of grief, I just want my life to be back to normal. I want to go back to the way it was, but you really can't. And you can't. And so it's, it's, it's a bit of an acceptance of that. And to recognize that, yeah, I'm disappointed that perhaps my life, um, you know, is, is different. But I think that one of the things that, that, that loss or grief can help teach us is to see what are the things that are deeply meaningful in our life and to appreciate those things more. So, um, so if, you know, I, I, I didn't want to lose my sister. Um, and now it's, it's about, um, accepting what is, but also learning to how to have a new relationship, um, with her and to also to remember, um, the, the things that, that, that touched me deeply about her instead of focusing so much on the time in her life where her body was deteriorating to remember those times where she was healthy and, and, and happy and, and, and powerful to recognizing the qualities of who she was. And in order to keep her memory alive, to bring forth those qualities and for me to be able to share them with others I believe for me, that's how I evolve forward, remembering the past, but moving towards the future with those meaningful things. Right. Acceptance is, is such a, a big part of, of the process. And you actually have divided the, the grief yoga teachings into branches. Like there's, there's a, a cycle of this, I guess, of, of transformation. You call it the cycle of compassionate transformation. And I thought we could get into a, a couple of these. There's awareness, expression, connection, surrender, and evolution. And do, does this flow in a certain way or do people kind of move through these things, you know, in a different way, according to their own cycles? Yeah. You know, one of my, one of my teachers was, um, was learning a little bit about how Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, you know, how she did the stages of, of um, dying. And then David Kessler worked with her on adapting them to grief, knowing that they are not linear, but they are kind of parts of who we go through. And so as I started to develop this class, I started to recognize how I'm taking my students on a bit of a journey and it seems to have a certain way. And, and I was trying to adapt about how do you either you know, explain this in a book or share this with uh, um, teachers, yoga teachers or counselors. And so I recognized that, that, oh, I'm going through a little bit of a cycle here. And the first step of the cycle about awareness is, is really that step of how to befriend the body and get it tune into the breath to become present, as we were talking about, and then finding safe ways to move the body to start to understand where are you holding the pain and the struggle in the body to become aware of that, because what we're going to do is, is the next step within expression, we're going to learn how to channel it. We're going to learn how to move it through us. And with the breath, I mean, that's so important in yoga. You know, that's one of the first things you learn is the ujjayi breath. Um, be, becoming aware of that when probably up until that point of, until you've walked into a yoga studio, you probably never thought about breathing. You know, you just do it to stay alive. But I, I'm sure people, when, especially when they're in grief, I mean, they're, they're not breathing. 
they're they're tight they're clenching they're they probably haven't even you know heaved I can't aside. breathe I'm having a hard time breathing I can't breathe right right and uh think of breath also as just life force energy and when sometimes what happens when we our, our breath becomes shallow there is a sense of trying to grasp to hold on to you know and i think that when we've experienced loss you know there's a sense of of powerlessness towards what's going on and so what we're, our body tends to do is we we constrict we try to tense up and and in that our breath becomes shallow and so part of the 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 befriending and the slow steps into this is to learn how to breathe deeply so we can start to use that life force energy to begin to help us to take a step and move forward is that one of the first things that you tell people that it's okay you can breathe it's okay to breathe and to recognize what I do is, is I incorporate sound in my in my work too um and sound is can be anything from a a sigh like <sighs> to a powerful aha, uh -huh, or even to laughter, or even just sound can, can be very powerful um, that helps us to open up the throat where things can get stuck. Um, and so in deepening the breath, I will incorporate that sense of sound to help to also begin to, um, you know, move, move pain through. Yeah, I wanted to, to mention that a little bit too, because you have uh, a part in the book where you use music and also sound where you're actually telling people to scream, like primal scream therapy. Uh, amen. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it works, you know, right? Sometimes, sometimes you need a little primal scream. Sometimes we do it in our car. Um, sometimes, you know, we do it wherever. Um, so obviously when the scream happens, it's because we're suppressing so much that it's just like, I can't take it anymore. Like a boiling teapot, it needs to explode. So right now, right, you're, we're, as we go into expression, like I incorporate movement, breath, and sound to move pain through. So yeah, like take, for instance, there's an exercise that I call pounding out and where they actually will pound on a pillow and use whatever primal scream that kind of comes out, whatever, whatever the sound is. Sometimes I'll say, let the pain have a sound and let them kind of do it. Um, sometimes there's a powerful, you know, uh, there's a powerful like warrior uh -huh, to just have them tap into their warrior strength to help them to go into the pain. So, so there is there is times where I will invite people to use sound, recognizing that that can be uncomfortable. Um, but it's really just a power part of our expression that just needs that 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 we can utilize. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back talking more with Paul Deniston about grief yoga, healing from grief with this extraordinary practice. We'll be right back. Discover the power within unityonlineradio.org The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Be Present, The Diane Ray Show. Thanks for coming back. I'm talking with Paul Deniston about his new book, Healing Through Yoga, Transform Loss into Empowerment, available right now. And also check out Paul online at griefyoga.com. There's some amazing information and resources there. So right before the break, we were talking a little bit about 
using sound and how you incorporate this in some of the exercises in the book. And as I was reading it, I was thinking to myself, when's the last time like I really screamed, you know, I or screamed in anger. And it's funny because I do do that sometimes. And often it's accompanied with an expletive <laughs> around the house. <laughs> sure. And it makes my husband really nervous. And he thinks he has to fix it. Like, what's uh, wrong? What's wrong? He gets really upset when he hears a loud noise. Right. And I have to tell him, just let me scream. Yeah. You know, but I was thinking how frowned upon it is in society to release those kind of noises, right? Yeah. Like we're not allowed to do that. No, no, no. And, and I also just recognize, I mean, you know, bless your husband for wanting to like, try to like fix it. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I recognize I, I, I'm like that too. I get it. Like I want to be able, I think that's a, maybe it's a male quality or something, but it's like, what can I do to help fix it? And I have learned in this work um, is, is that, there's no necessarily need to fix anything. Even just staying present to it and witnessing it can actually be some of the most powerful work that you do. Um, I get, and I also recognize that sometimes being with someone as they're struggling and in pain, it's not easy. So um, one of the things that, that, that I will do when um, someone is, is having a reaction like that and I want to fix and stuff like that too, is, is I, don't, I don't abandon myself and I witness, but I also will like bring my hands to my core to help center me and I'll just witness and breathe and hold that space. And sometimes that can be some of the most powerful work, not easy. Um, you know, I also just want to say, Diane, another way that I use sound that is, is, is sometimes people need, people who are going through loss have a primal need or want to know why, you know, why did this have to happen? Why him? Why her? And so there's even a technique that I do that's called releasing the why. It's a movement and it's where they use sound to just say why over and over. And I'll even invite them to point it upward and to even express disappointment, hurt, or anger, even up at God, and to just so, you know, recognizing, you know, higher power, God can take it, but it's important for us to move the anger through, um, and using the sound and words of why can actually be quite primal. Um, so that's just another way of using sound that I do in, the, in, in, in classes. I love that you brought that up because that was one of the questions I was going to ask you when, when I was reading that story in the book, because one of the cliches that I've always hated in being around, you know, this space of personal development people for a long time, and I've always heard that, well, everything happens for a reason. And I've always had a problem with that because I don't think that that's really the case. There doesn't have to be, does there have to be a reason? Sometimes it's just a horrible thing that happened. There's it's, no exact reason. You know, there's you know? a little bit of a silver lining of, of things that, that, yeah. that I kind of don't prefer as much, you know, and I, sometimes people will even say, you know, at least this or maybe, you know, um, and, and I think that what happens is, is that then you are minimizing someone's grief and struggle. So um, I have a I have a little bit of a, a thing about don't don't bypass the pain you know don't try to like you know let's 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 t let's let's be with it and move with it but but don't just 
brush it off because I just recognize for my own self because then I get stuck and then I hold on to it and I get resentful. And so, um, yeah, um, I'm, 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 not a, I'm not a big fan of the spiritual bypass of things. Right. And just trying to sweep it under the rug like, well, they're in a better place or this is God's way of doing this or something like that. And I wonder how many people, when you work through that exercise of the why and that you give them permission, it's okay. You can, God can take it. You said in the book, God can take it. How many people are waiting for the lightning bolt? of God to respond, you know, that judgmental punitive God that I don't think exists, but some people, some people do. And maybe they're afraid to really scream at God thinking there'll be a reaction. Well, um, gosh, you know, as I was doing this work and I allowed myself, because look, I grew up with the judgmental you know, being taught about a judgmental God. And, you know, my daddy was a Baptist minister. So look, I, 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 yeah, I I get (laughs) it. But I, I must tell you when I have given the space to show or express my disappointment, my anger, my frustration with God, what actually can seem to happen in that space is grace, uh, a sense of grace to almost be like, you know, just as we were talking about, you know, someone who's not trying to fix you um, just just to witness your grief. It's almost like I feel that in that space. And that even though I'm, I'm angry and I'm hurt, there's still a space of, of love that is present, which is for me what my definition of God is. My, God is love. And, and then I also recognize that grief is love. And so um, in that space, can I express the pain and recognize that love is still present? That's such a a great statement. Grief is love because really, if you didn't care, you wouldn't be in such turmoil and trauma, right? If you didn't love the person so much that you lost. So that is really a true statement. Grief is love. Grief is, is, and sometimes people are like, you know, grief is love, but with nowhere to go. And so as I started to reflect on this practice, I was like, well, what if we gave the grief and the love, the space to move, to breathe, to be felt and to, 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 um, I don't know, to, 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 to be shared. And that's kind of like what brings to the next step, um, within the cycle of compassionate transformation, which is about connection. And uh, connection is a place where we are able to, to witness um, whatever the struggle is and offer ourselves compassion. Um, connection can happen within ourself. Um, connection can happen to others. Um, connection can happen to spirit. And what these are based on are flowing meditations that help us to um, fill ourselves up again, focusing on love, gratitude, and grace. I thought, you know, if I'm going into the pain, which is really about channel in expression, it's channeling the pain in empowering ways. I'm like, but we have to move towards the light. And the light for me is, is really about connection. And I recognize that grief, we are disconnected from someone or something that we love. And so where can we find that space of connection? We are so disconnected and often so uncomfortable in even witnessing it. 
you know, Absolutely. to be around someone, some people it's just really uncomfortable. And I think it is important to be the witness in a lot of those situations and, and just tech, offering tech, that connection. technique that I have in, in like a one technique in the book is called love taps. And it's where you take the top parts of your fingers and you tap your chest and you just say, I am, and you witness and let whatever come out for you comes out. You know, it could be, I'm, 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 I'm frustrated. I'm, I'm sad, I'm angry, to be able to identify it and to witness that within ourselves. And there's a technique even too that I teach to therapists and counselors where each person is tapping on their chest and one person will say, I am, and then the other person will just repeat, you are, repeating whatever that other person said. But it's a practice to help us to see how you don't have to fix another person especially when they're in grief they don't they don't need to be fixed in some ways if you just if you meet them where they're at and you witness them you know david kessler talks about how grief needs to be witnessed and if we just allow the space to witness another person's um struggle or we witness it within ourselves i think that that is a true step towards moving through towards healing yes i agree and i wanted to ask you too about people that experience guilt and feelings of regret after a loss. And, and you mentioned in the book, a, a story of a woman who was carrying uh, guilt because she couldn't look her husband in the eye. Because like you, like you said, it sometimes being in that situation, someone who's really going through a serious illness and, and they're, it's hard. It's hard to see them looking that way, feeling that way, and you can't do anything about it. And then you have these regrets after a loss, and these really stand stand in the way of fully embodying our grief and moving through it. And how do you work with people in letting go of those feelings of guilt and regret? I I think that 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 guilt and regrets are probably one of the most challenging aspects within loss. And so um, one of the things that I will invite them to do is to first just start to kind of like connect to the thought of like, I should have, I should have, you know, and let them finish it however they want. I, I should have been more loving and caring to them when they were alive. If only we would have gone to a different hospital, maybe, maybe things would be different. If only I would have reached out to them. So to start to first start to reflect on, I should have, what if, if only, or sometimes working with someone, if it's better for them to direct it towards the other person, you should have, if only you would have, what if you would have, to start to see what will start to come up. And then the regrets and the guilt, they live in the mind, they live in the body. But what I'll invite people to do is, is to let's pretend that it lives outside of us and to grasp it like it's a weed that's taking up space in our soil of peace and prosperity. And even as you grasp like your fist in front of your chest as if you were grasping a weed, you, you say that I should have or you should have. You acknowledge it and then you inhale, and then you throw it up over your head and release it and let it go in the past. And then you move with the next hand and you connect to if there's no, if only I would have, or if only you would have. And you grasp that and inhale and throw it up over your head. So it's really about recognizing that a lot of the times within guilt and regrets, it's really coming from a place where, 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 where it's in our heads to recognizing that it's in our body 
but to also visualize it and begin to uproot it so it can clear some space in our soil, clear some of those weeds out so we can just maybe plant some seeds for some new flowers to bloom. Right. And for healing to take place. I think those two emotions after a loss are just so painful and difficult to move through. I remember feeling so much guilt when my mother passed with colon cancer because I prayed for her to die. You know what I mean? I prayed for her to be released from that pain and then feeling the guilt of, well, did my prayer push that over the edge? You know, crazy things like that or blaming others or family members. Well, you should have done this. Why did you do this? Or in another worst case scenario, what if there was like a fight and someone got in a car accident and your last words to them were words of anger and you're beating yourself up over that? But I love that imagery of pulling that out. You know, it's not serving you anymore. And right. and then also, you know, moving into forgiveness, which is another thing that you, you talk about in the book, you know, how important it is to forgive yourself sure. for those things. Right. And and I think forgiveness is a lifelong process, forgiving ourselves for making the mistakes, forgiving others. Um, the um, flowing meditation and connection that I embrace with forgiveness is is based on an ancient Hawaiian prayer called Ho'opono Opono. And uh, it's, uh, I love you, I'm sorry, please forgive me, thank you. Um, uh, and it's a, it's a flowing meditation about that. But I, but I also, you know, I was just talking with a friend and the, his, his concept of forgiveness is, is that he thinks of forgiveness as, as, as if you were giving it away. Like you don't, I don't want to hold on to this resentment and this hurt, so I'm going to give it out. Um, and I just thought that that was an interesting concept. Um, you know, here's the thing. I, I think that it's a lifelong process. And one of the things that, that helps me to tap into forgiveness is to see the innocence of what is, to see that, you know, maybe I made a mistake. They've made a mistake. We've all made a mistake. And can I offer myself just a little bit of kindness here? You know, also to recognize if I would have known what was going to happen, I would have perhaps reacted differently. I would have done something differently. Can we find the innocence of what is? You know, if you're having a heart, if you're like, you know, praying for, for your loved one to pass, perhaps what the essence of it is, is that it's hard for you to see your loved one in pain. You don't want to see them in pain. So, um, I mean, I've certainly prayed for that myself. Um, and so, um, is there a possibility that where where we can tap into the innocence of what is? Now, I also recognize there are some people who are like, uh, especially if I'm dealing with someone who maybe had a child murdered, they're like, I can't forgive. I'm not. There's no way I'm gonna forgive. What I will invite someone to do, especially, um, is to say, um, it's not your place to forgive. Um, Maybe maybe it's something you hand that over to God, to higher power, and it's like, this is your responsibility. I can't do it. So what I'll say to them is, is like, help me to find peace. Help me to find peace. Maybe that's, that's, their, that's a step towards um, either forgiveness um, or it's a way to adapt the concept of forgiveness. Right, where you're not saying, I forgive that murderer for the action of what they did, 
right? That that would be very difficult, or very. I guess some people can do it, but right, you know, really impossible. But yeah, I mean, I, I like that uh, that approach. And there's no, there's no, you know, a lot of times people are like, you know, when something horrible happens, have you forgiven the person? And and um, I, I don't think that forgiveness, as I said, is a lifelong process. There's no way it should be rushed to. And when I'm working with someone that there's no way I jump to forgiveness. I, I, a lot of the times I'm like, especially if there's a lot of hurt and pain there, I go back to the place of expression and I'm like, you know, let's, let's pound it out. Let's, let's, let's release some of that pain because I believe that's, that's going to be a more powerful way for us to tap into forgiveness. Once the, the anger or the hurt or the pain is moved through that we're more, open to taking, to be willing to forgive. Right. No, I agree. Like you can't just throw that out there. Well, you should forgive them. And you know, you can't rush oh, through that. Should. I hate that <laughs> word. Stop shooting on yourself. <laughs> You're shooting on yourself. Stop exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> just stop it. It just, it's not, it's not helping. It's not helping yeah. anything. And I love that you mentioned, um, that ho ho, I always mess up hope. I call it ho pono pono. Ho opono pono is ho pono pono. Yeah. Ho opono opono pono. But it, it seems so simple, but it's very powerful that process. Yes, and the concept, you know, then this is a an ancient Hawaiian prayer. It's really meant to to make right, um, and uh, you know, it's it's. I, I I think um, you know when Elizabeth Kubler Ross when she was working with people um, who were who were dying, they were like you know the only thing to really focus on um, in those final things is 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 I love you, I forgive you, forgive me, thank you, um, and uh, and just what a powerful concept that is, and um, again it's 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 a lifelong process it's it's something i will i mean if you think even just back to christ i mean christ was working on it on his final breath um so uh so i i think it's developing some relationship that um it's a lifelong process and it's going to be easier at times than others and um can i can i can i just find willingness first off and if it's too hard Maybe it's just to help me prayer for peace. Right. Kind of taking steps to move towards that, not just kind of rushing like a freight train, right, right. in that direction. Yeah. And we were talking a little bit before about, about sound. I love that you incorporate mantra into your meditation. And I think some people initially are a little freaked out by using a mantra that, oh, I, I don't want to say these words or this goes against my faith or that kind of thing. I love working with mantra, which has really helped me in my own meditation practice because I can keep myself on kind of on track because I'm just thinking of these words that really have no meaning. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? To me, I guess like it's not a certain word. They're just, you know, like Om Mane Padme Om that you mention in the book. Sure. And are, are people resistant to mantras, you know, at first, or how do you introduce they can that? Be, but when working with mantra, I'm just very clear about here's what it means. And it's really about the vibrational frequency of what these, these mantras are that, that, that resonate. So when, you know, if I'm working with a group that is uh, a strong, uh, let's say a strong Christian faith, you know, because I, I mean, like, my, I, I come from a very, you know, 
Southern Tech, Southern Texas Baptist. I background. hear the draw a little bit. Uh, there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> can't hide uh, it. I can't hide it. <laughs> but I, I would not bring up mantras as much in that specific arena. Do you know what I mean? Um, so, uh, but I always am if like, if I introduce mantras, let's just understand the clear meaning of it so we can, so we can uh, connect to it, so we can embrace it. It's just another way of using sound. Right, right. Just another tool and may not work for everybody, may work for a lot of people. And you also use music with dance in something that you call the dance prayer, you know, allowing grief and love to flow and using music. I mean, that sounds like fun. Oh, it is. <laughs> to do oh, that. It is. And I, you know, whether the music is in like an expression, we use it as like a primal shakeout. Um, in connection, it can be more of like a prayer of love and dev devotion. It's basically where you play a particular song and then whatever your movement is, is uh, allowing the, the love or the grief to move through, whether it be a song of like Unforgettable from uh, Nat King Cole to uh, Hallelujah from Katie Lang um, or whatever song resonates with your heart. And, and it's a recognizing that it's just, here's the thing, you know, um, grief doesn't need a lot of time, but it needs dedicated time. And sometimes that dedicated time can even just meaning like a four minute song where it's like, I'm just going to move in whatever way. And if that means not moving at all, that's okay. But I'm just going to spend a little time here to, to, to do it. Um, now that's just that specific dance prayer is meant for unresolved sadness or for love to move through but dance has so many forms to it i you know part of one of the work that i do here is, is also called chakra dance too which is like you know there are other areas where you know sometimes it's about um a fire warrior you know powerful dance too so uh the the, the this practice is meant for emotional liberation and recognizing that dance can also encompass physical liberation that uh, I think is, uh, is so important. People should be open to exploring that a little bit because it really is fun and so powerful. I did a, I don't know if it was called ecstatic dance or Shakti dance or something like that. It was at this big yoga festival called Bhakti Fest. Have mm -hmm. you ever gone there? Mm -hmm. I have. What a and I'm crazy doing... time. I'm doing ecstatic <laughs> dance at the beach on Sunday, actually. Yeah. How so. fun. I mean, <laughs> we were dancing around like, you know, a, a bunch of wild people uh, <laughs> to this tribal, just really incredible yeah. music. And just after that, everyone's just laughing. You're dripping right. in sweat. And it's just it's so fun. And yeah. you don't look at what you're doing because you, you probably look pretty crazy. Right. You know, if someone saw you. But that I thought that's great that you're incorporating that. Um, and maybe well, I, some you people know, will get a, to I'm, I'm come from a choreography and a movement background. So using that space of dance is a very, you know, it's, it's something that is, is, is a, is a powerful thing of, we all dance differently too. And, and how normal it is for us to maybe get a little insecure or maybe look stupid. And it's just an invitation to be like, okay, stop getting into your head, get into your body and just allow your body to move in the way it wants to move. Right. We're too afraid we look like Elaine on Seinfeld, you know, <laughs> doing the Elaine dance. I do. And you just I have do. to. <laughs> I'm doing it right now. <laughs> you just have to let that go. And it's so, it's so beneficial and, and it's so fun to do that. 
Um, I love the techniques and the things that you share in the book. It's so helpful to people and so many people are going to benefit from reading this and experiencing this with you when they find you at an actual event. Mm -hmm. So I know things are going to be opening up this year. And what are your plans? Like, what are you going to do? Is it to conquer the world with healing through yoga? <laughs> oh my God. That sounds very intimidating <laughs> to conquer the world. No, it's my intention to be able to continue to do this work. Um, I, I, you know, I think that one of the things that with this pandemic is, is it's opened up a, a greater uh, venue of, of teaching online. And I, you know, have, have classes that I teach online. So um, I, I think that the thing is, is to check out griefyoga.com and see what, you know, classes and stuff like that are available there. Um, and to continue to, to just, you know, share this work. Uh, the, the book has been such a labor of love for the last couple of years. And uh, I'm so excited about bringing it out. And for those who are, are uh, appreciate listening, I, I, I recorded the book also on audio. So you can, you can get the book on audio and that's a great way to do, to do it. But also one of the things that I was very interested in doing too was how do you take something that's experiential and make it in a book form? And that's always been a very powerful focus for me within this process. And so one of the things that I did is, is for anybody who, you know, orders the book, that there is an online companion course that will follow the book experience that will give you classes and stuff like that, that will support the book experience too. So that was a, a clear intention for, for putting that together. Well, you're doing such important work, Paul, and I'm so happy you could share it with everybody here listening and Unity Online Radio as well. And thank you so much for joining me today. It's been fun to talk with you. Thank you. And for those who want that free online companion course for the purchase of the book, it's at healingthroughyoga.com. Perfect. Healingthroughyoga.com. Thanks so much, Paul. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.